BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Not to open is not a plan, said Governor Gavin Newsom yesterday when talking about California's public schools and the pandemic. And Newsom said he's close to a deal with state legislators to help start getting some elementary schools reopened. With more, here's KQED's Katie Orr. Pressure has been mounting on lawmakers and school districts to get kids back in the classroom. Teachers unions have maintained their members should be prioritized for vaccines for schools to reopen in person. Newsom says he thinks he can strike a balance. I'm committed to their safety. I'm committed to our kids' education. And I believe best education is in-person education. And I believe for our youngest kids, it's essential, particularly black and brown kids, particularly kids with special needs. Newsom says the deal would include $6.6 billion in immediate money to address learning loss and safety measures. He says he believes the state's youngest children can safely return to school in small groups. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. A 28-year-old man named Yahya Muslim has been arrested in Oakland in connection with violent, unprovoked assaults on elderly Asian Americans in the city's Chinatown neighborhood, assaults that have garnered national attention as possible hate crimes. Here's Alameda County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley addressing that issue at a press conference yesterday. This sound comes from KPIX in San Francisco. We work to be a unified community, respectful of the diversity. But over the years, we have seen a spike in crimes, especially violent crimes that are motivated by hate and by aggression. Alvina Wong is a campaign director for the Asian Pacific Environmental Network. She says recent budget cuts have removed community resource officers from Oakland's Chinatown. Which is very disappointing. We really need to think about how do we increase the feeling of safety over time and really think about how we can continue to build up our cultural vibrancy in the neighborhood. Others have pointed to cuts in Oakland's police department as a possible factor in the assaults. Some residents have formed a citizens group to start patrolling the city's Chinatown. Several Asian American advocacy groups in the Bay Area are also calling on the city of Oakland to provide a victim's fund for those injured in the attacks. More and more California cities are drafting so-called hero pay ordinances, requiring supermarket and pharmacy companies to temporarily pay their employees more per hour because of the risks 
posed by the coronavirus pandemic. Later today, the City Council of Coachella near Palm Springs will consider a $4 an hour hero pay ordinance that would also include farm workers. If the ordinance passes, Coachella says it'll make it the first community in the country to require premium pay for agricultural laborers. Supporters of the idea say it recognizes the risks the coronavirus poses to poor immigrant farm laborers. A UC San Francisco study released last month reported that mortality rates among Latino food and agricultural workers have spiked during the pandemic. Californians who need unemployment benefits the most may be least likely to get them. Why? Well, it's partly due to language and tech access barriers unaddressed by the state's Employment Development Department. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has this closer look. Late last year, researchers at the California Policy Lab looked into how many Californians were receiving unemployment benefits and where they lived. UCLA economics professor Tilvan Wachter led the study. It's striking how systematically the rate of UI recipiency among the unemployed varies with community characteristics. Like if you don't speak English, you don't have good internet access, or you're not a citizen, there's a good chance you aren't getting consistent benefits. Amos Lim, an advocate with San Francisco's Chinese for Affirmative Action, says these are the issues their clients deal with every day. Receiving correspondence in English. Uh, sometimes they're receiving correspondence in Spanish and they're asking us to interpret and we don't have Spanish capability to help interpret. So, you know, it was a mad rush to try to find uh, people to help. This isn't a surprise considering the Employment Development Department's primary platforms are built to serve mainly English and Spanish speakers. Two of CAA's clients, Henry Zhang and his wife, Rui Wu, are both stuck without benefits as they wait for calls from EDD. They both emigrated from Taishan in China and have been living in San Francisco for many years now. Zhang has done laundry and janitorial work, and Wu was working as a dishwasher at a restaurant before she got laid off. Zhang speaks Cantonese and Mandarin and very little English. Wu speaks even less English, and her first language is Cantonese. Complicating things more for Zhang and Wu, the platform they need to use to verify their unemployment claims works best on a smartphone. Zhang has an iPhone, but Wu only has a flip phone with no internet. And since losing her job, she's been spending full days and sometimes nights taking care of Zhang's mother, who's in her 90s, at the mother's home where she doesn't even have good cell reception. That means they're both relying on Zhang's phone to communicate with EDD. And if Wu gets a call on her own phone, she may not be able to complete the tasks asked of her to secure her benefits. Advocate Amos Lim remembers the last time that Zhang and Wu were able to get an unemployment rep on the phone to try to verify Wu's account. He said that um, when went to one of the questions, which is, tell me your address, the wife couldn't speak clearly enough for him to understand. Henry offered to assist. First, the guy asked to see his ID. And then when he showed him his ID, uh, pointed it at the camera, um, the guy said, no, you know what, I'll find somebody uh, to come and uh, help you translate and I'll call back. So Henry said, uh, I need somebody who can speak Cantonese preferably because my wife speaks Cantonese. And the person said that they will call back. That was more than two weeks ago. 
and they still haven't gotten a follow-up call. Zhang says they are scrimping, not eating as much as they usually would, and trying to make their food stamps last as long as they can until they get their benefits. New legislation is seeking to relieve at least some of the burdens people like Zhang and Wu are facing. San Francisco Assemblymember David Chu is a sponsor. So what our bill says is it requires ADD to identify the language needs of claimants uh, to provide translation of its applications and other vital forms to increase multilingual phone lines and also requires EDD to communicate with claimants in their language in a, in a timely way. But even if the bill passes, its measures won't be mandated until July of 2022. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Five legal aid groups are suing to end in-person traffic and eviction hearings at Los Angeles' Superior Court. They allege unsafe courtroom conditions during the pandemic put court staff and often low-income defendants of color at risk. KCRW's Anna Scott has more. The complaint describes poorly ventilated hallways and courtrooms, inconsistent mask wearing, and overcrowding in courthouses. Legal aid attorneys who filed the case say they and their already vulnerable clients are risking their lives for non-urgent matters because they can't afford the penalties of not showing up. Lauren Zack is an attorney with public counsel. I've been to traffic court in person more than 20 times since August of 2020 to handle citations like driving with a broken windshield or driving with expired registration stickers. Public counsel filed the suit with the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles, Inner City Law Center, Betsetic, and Neighborhood Legal Services of L.A. County. They're asking to close the courtrooms countywide until public health officials say it's safe to gather in large groups. For The California Report, I'm Anna Scott.
A spokesperson for LA's Superior Court didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. In environmental news, local, state, and federal agencies are investigating a spill from a wharf at Chevron's Richmond refinery into San Francisco Bay. With more, here's KQED's Dan Brecky. In a preliminary report, Chevron said a mixture of gasoline and oil leaked from a pipeline on the Long Wharf at its Richmond facility. The spill was first detected about 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. The company said the material leaked at the rate of 5 gallons a minute and that the flow stopped about two hours after it was discovered. Chevron oil spill response contractors were dispatched to the incident. Aerial video showed an oily sheen spread for more than a mile along the Point Richmond shoreline. County health officials advised those with respiratory sensitivities in Richmond, North Richmond, and San Pablo to remain indoors during the incident. Officials from the Coast Guard, California Fish and Wildlife, and the Contra Costa Public Health Services Department are investigating. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. It often happens in the world of social media. Tweet first and get facts later. And that means people receive a barrage of hostile messages about things they've got nothing to do with. That's what happened to one state legislator, as KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer explains. It's not unusual for members of Congress to hear from angry constituents. And starting on January 6th, when supporters of Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, Central Valley Democrat Josh Harder was on the receiving end of plenty. Lots of letters and emails and and social media posts from folks. My reaction initially and and still now is just really one of understanding. I mean, I think people have a right to be mad. Harder says they were upset about the violence and about lawmakers who refused to accept the election results. They called him an idiot and an insurrectionist. Some told him to resign. The only problem, they were angry at the wrong Josh. The messages were intended for Missouri's Republican Senator Josh Hawley. Now, the political views of Josh Harder and Josh Hawley couldn't be more different. But these angry constituents didn't seem to realize that. Some of them were were maybe a little bit over the top, but I, I certainly understand the frustration. Josh Hawley encouraged a violent mob that led to the death of five people in our nation's capital. And there should be uh, accountability for that. Congressman Harder says the confusion is easy to understand, and he sees a silver lining. In some ways, it's actually encouraging. It's encouraging to see a politician be held to account. It's just important to make sure that it's the right guy. Harder says he's never spoken to Josh Hawley. He's more interested in talking with members who are interested in finding common ground on issues like the COVID relief package. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. When you think of a hot spot for American bluegrass and folk music, you probably don't think about Los Angeles. But then you may not know about Ed Pearl, who died this week from COVID complications. Pearl was the founder of West Hollywood's legendary Ashgrove Nightclub. And on its stage in the 1960s and 70s, he helped establish the careers of some major bluegrass, blues, folk, and rock artists, from Jackson Brown to Linda Ronstad to Ramblin' Jack Elliott. And this artist, Mississippi John Hurt, who you hear performing at the club in 1964. The Ashgrove became known as the West Coast University of Folk Music. Pearl also turned the club into a crossroads of political activism, organizing protests there for civil rights and against the Vietnam War. And Pearl was 88. 
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, February 10th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in L.A. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.